Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. If you were here with us last weekend or you had the chance to watch our worship service online, you'll recall that Ellie reflected on the role of rituals in our life. Today's scripture might be considered one such ritual in your life. In fact, it's my go-to prayer. Whenever there are monsoons or storms of life, I invite you now to listen and, to sh- and listen to the two similar versions of the Lord's Prayer and reflect upon not only how each version makes you feel, but why is it so often used as a ritual by folks? The first comes from the Gospel of Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the second version comes from the Gospel of Luke eleven two through 4. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. The Lord's Prayer saved Larry's life. Now, if you had had the opportunity to meet Larry, one of the first things you would have noticed would be a scar on the side of his right temple. You would think when you first saw it that he had had some kind of a surgery because not only was there a scar, but there was a slight indentation there where the scar was. But if you had had the opportunity to visit with Larry, he would tell you this story. And the story is like this. Larry worked at a convenience store, and he would stay up late at night. While he was there, he would end up having to stay and work that late shift. One evening, a man came in and drew a gun on him. And he told Larry, he said, get down on your knees and beg for your life. Larry went down on his knees, and instinctively, he folded his hands, and he bowed his head, and he began, Our Father, who art in heaven, and then, bang, a gunshot went off. The next thing Larry was aware of was he was in the hospital. When the doctors came in to visit with him, they told him, they said, you are a very, very lucky man. If that bullet, and if your head had been positioned different, and if that bullet had hit you, you would not be here right now. It was the fact that Larry took his head and he bowed it, and when at that moment, when the shot went off, 
And instead of hitting and going into his skull, it just grazed it. Literally, the Lord's Prayer saved Larry's life. Now, the majority of us cannot say that. I would doubt the, the, the majority of us here would not be able to say that literally the Lord's Prayer saved our life. But the Lord's Prayer means a lot to people in different ways. It provides them a sense of peace. It provides them with a sense of connection with their past. It makes them feel they belong to a larger group of people. But on the other side, there are individuals that I have met who are actually members of our church who don't like the Lord's Prayer at all. They would prefer that we would never say it again. I know of one individual who actually doesn't attend particular churches because they do say the Lord's Prayer. And for those of us who maybe like the Lord's Prayer, we don't understand them. And for those who don't like the Lord's Prayer, they don't understand why you would like it. So there is this diversity when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, but there is one thing that unites probably the majority of Christians, and that is we know the Lord's Prayer. We know the words. And if someone starts it, our Father, we know what to do and what to say. But I wonder how many of us know the Lord's Prayer. We know the words, but do we actually know its meaning? Do we understand its origin? Do we understand the first time that it was used and how it began to be a part of the tradition of various parts of the Christian church? Again, I think we know the words, but do we, we really taken the time to look at what it means? And that is what we're going to be doing in the Sundays to come. We are going to be looking at, in depth, the Lord's Prayer. But today, we're going to step back, and we're going to take this broad look at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to see it kind of from, from the sky. We're going, to see the, we're going to see all the forest rather than get into the trees. We'll get into the trees next week. So we're going to take that big picture. And I want to share with you some insights into the Lord's Prayer. Some of these you may be aware of, some of them may be new to you, but here we go. Number one, the Lord's Prayer, there seems to be strong evidence that Jesus never taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. It's very possible that Jesus never even said the Lord's Prayer. Now, before you say heresy, there seems to be some really good reasons why. If you read the Gospels, one of the things you'll notice, other than the Gospel of John, which has Jesus pray this really long prayer, and when you read that long prayer, you immediately kind of scratch your head and go, well, do they have like a stenographer that copied Jesus' words verbatim? But what you'll find out in the rest of the Gospels is that when it has Jesus pray, they're really short. They're like phrases, little phrases. 
And so the theory is that what we see in the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus may have spoken these phrases, but he probably didn't put them all together in order. And so it's, it's possible that Jesus said these words, but he didn't say them in the order and in the way that we find them in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. But again, those phrases appear. Second of all, when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, it developed over time. It was something that slowly began to grow. There's a document that doesn't exist, but it's named. Isn't that amazing? An un, a document that does not exist, but people actually, scholars actually pay, are paid to study it. It's called the Gospel of Q. And what that is, is if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find that they have areas where they seem to be copying each other. But we know Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they didn't copy each other. They didn't literally, all three of them, sit down and say, all right, boys, here we go, and then start writing. Now, they had each other's documents more than likely. We think Mark wrote first, and so Matthew followed and had Mark's. But what's amazing is that we find these similarities, and the question is, why? And they believe that there is this document that existed, and we no longer have a copies of it, and it's called the Gospel of Q. Now, again, that's a theory, because the document doesn't exist. But if it exists, they believe that this is what the Lord's Prayer would have sounded like in the Gospel of Q. You ready for this? Father, ours in the heaven, the Holy Spirit, let come your kingdom. Your daily bread give us each day. Pardon us our debt, as we ourselves pardon everyone indebted to us. And do not pardon us to be led into trial. Now, you can hear similarities, but you can also hear the differences to the Lord's Prayer that you are accustomed to repeating. Another reason why we believe that the Lord's Prayer developed over time and existed in different formats is when you actually compare the prayer in Matthew versus Luke. Look at the screen right now. We've, what we did is we compared these two, and you'll notice as we go through this, we won't spend a lot of time, but you'll notice the differences that exist. In the Gospel of Matthew, for example, look at the first line, Our Father in heaven. That's the one we're most accustomed to. But look at Luke, Father. Go down a little bit, the next line, it says what? Your kingdom come in Matthew, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, where is that in Luke? It's not there. A little bit further at the very end, You'll notice 
that Matthew says, and do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Luke leaves that out completely. So what we have here is diversity. And what is amazing is, is if you look at that screen right now, you'll notice there's no ending. What happened to, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Where in the world is that? And if it's not in the Gospels, where did it come from? Well, what we believe is that it existed in another document, and over time, it was added back in. It's what we call a doxology. It's an ending that was tacked on. So again, there's evidence that the Lord's Prayer developed over time. It grew. And while Jesus may have never actually said the Lord's Prayer, the community that claimed him, they are the ones who took these phrases, brought them together, and began to pray them. Third insight from this is that this is a Jewish prayer. This is not a Christian prayer. All of the phrases that you find in the Lord's Prayer, all of them, each and every one of them, can be found either in Jewish documents or actually even in the Hebrew Bible. So whoever came up with this Lord's Prayer, it wasn't something they just created. It was rich within their tradition. They were Jews. The first followers of Jesus were Jews. And so they took this knowledge and they used these phrases to create this prayer. And finally, when it comes to how it was used in the Christian church, we find a variety of opinions. In Matthew chapter 6, and I believe it's verse 7, Jesus is attributed of saying, do not pray in vain with repetition. So there are some individuals who see that text, and because of that, they don't pray the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. In fact, into the fourth century, there were those individuals in the Christian church who said, every time you pray, it should be different. It should not be the same. So there was that element within the Christian church. But then there was another element, and it was a document called the Didache. And what it is, is it's basically a worship book. It's also known as Teaching of the Disciples. It's the oldest book on church order that we have. And it dates to about anywhere from 70 to maybe 100 years after Jesus was crucified. Listen to what this says. It commands the faithful Christians not to pray as the hypocrites do, 
But as the Lord commanded in his gospel, pray thus three times daily, our Father. You hear that? This is the first record that we have where a segment of the early church said, you need to pray the Lord's Prayer, and if you're going to pray it, pray it three times every day. But there's a clue. There's a little clue in here to tell us why they wanted it prayed three times. Let me read it again. Do not pray as the hypocrites do. Who are the hypocrites? Well, many people believe the hypocrites were the Jews. The Jews that didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And what's fascinating with this is that for the Jews, they had a prayer that they were to pray three times every day. It was called the Shema. So some people believe that the writer of the Didache was actually countering the Jewish non-believers by replacing the Shema with the Lord's Prayer a way of separating from their heritage. And then last of all, there's other people that believe that the prayer was never intended to be repeated over and over and over by the church. Instead, its purpose was to give us a pattern to follow in our prayers. If you look at the first part of the Lord's Prayer, it's about praise. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then the second half of the prayer turns into petitions. And so some people say that Jesus never intended, or the early church, whoever wrote the Matthew and Luke and came up with the prayer, they never intended it to be repeated again and again and again, but rather it gave us a pattern to follow when we prayed. All right. Now, with those four insights, how many of you, don't raise your hand, are willing just to give up the Lord's Prayer altogether and say, well, Jesus didn't say we were say it. I'm never going to say it again. What value does it have? If those four insights I shared with you, if they are true, and please understand that the, what I shared with you is credible. It's built on some really solid evidence. If it's true, what value does the Lord's Prayer continue to have for us today? I'd like you to think about something. Its value might be that it could be seen as a ritual. Last week, Ellie shared with us the value of ritual. Well, what, let's, for a reminder, what's a ritual? Well, a ritual is either a saying or an action that is repeated over and over and again in different circumstances. Now, some rituals are very quick and very brief. 
For example, if you kiss a family member or your partner goodnight or goodbye, that's a ritual. How many of you brush your teeth at the same time every day? That's a ritual. So we have these little rituals we do in our life, and we don't even think about them. But walk out the door without kissing your partner goodbye, you'll be reminded of it. But these are these little rituals that add meaning to our lives. Some rituals we have are quite long. Birthdays. Holidays. Oh my, holidays. We eat, there's families that eat the same food every holiday. Same way to decorate the tree every Christmas. These are rituals. If you have coffee in the morning, that's a ritual. There's so many. Oh, here's one I can't leave out. Taco Tuesday. That's a ritual. We have all these rituals that are longer. They're extended out in time. And then we have the spiritual rituals. Baptism, weddings, funerals, gathering together on Sundays. These are all rituals that we practice. So what if we took the Lord's Prayer and we incorporated it into our lives individually as well as collectively as a ritual? Now, please understand, by that I mean that as we move forward as a church, it doesn't mean that if we accept this collectively as a ritual, that we're going to pray it every Sunday. Some of you may be disappointed to hear that, and some of you may be like, oh, if we're going to have to pray the Lord's Prayer. But that's the beauty of Church of the Beatitudes. I know for a fact that there are Sundays when something happens here in worship and you're going, I don't like that. But I also know that you are aware that the person sitting on somewhere else is going, oh, this really is hitting me today. So, but let's just briefly explore the benefits if we took the Lord's Prayer and saw it as a ritual. Just three quick benefits. Number one, it can provide a sense of comfort. Janelle, before she read the text from Matthew and Luke, shared with us how that was her go-to. There are many people that use the Lord's Prayer almost as a mantra, something that they just speak over and over, and what it does is it just kind of re-centers their life, kind of brings everything back into perspective. And in those moments, the meaning of the prayer is irrelevant. It's just that repetition of words again and again that has a way of allowing our minds and our spirit to just kind of focus in and to recenter our lives. And that's something that you can use the Lord's Prayer for. Now, me, for myself, I don't do it that way. I choose to use the serenity prayer for that. 
And that is a ritual for me. But this could be a ritual for you to practice in your own personal life, if you choose, with the Lord's Prayer. There's another benefit, and that is the collective. One of the greatest disadvantages I feel right now, if I take away the loss of life and the illness and the sicknesses and the fears, and God bless our children, and how they, in the world, those families are maneuvering through COVID right now. I mean, hats off to them. But if I t set that all aside, from a pastoral perspective, I miss the unison of our voices, either in singing or in prayers. And that is where in churches, the Lord's Prayer and other prayers can be used as a ritual because all of a sudden you realize you aren't alone. At the beginning of worship, I shared with you three people who are struggling in our church right now. And the reality is, right now in the midst, there's a lot more than three that are struggling. Different degrees of struggling, but we are all facing challenges and difficulties and traumas in our life at various times. And when you come together in a spiritual gathering like this, and you add your voice into other people, that has a way of uniting and connecting us with each other. And that's why prayers like the Lord's Prayer can be so powerful as a ritual to bring a spiritual community together. And then finally, a ritual such as saying the Lord's Prayer again and again, has the ability to empower us. But again, it's far more than just the Lord's Prayer that can do this. Jody Amon says the following about rituals, and in particular, prayer. In rituals, we embody what is most important to us. We make commitments Embrace beliefs, forgive, celebrate accomplishments, honor community, and show appreciation. You see, if you just make a commitment without much hoopla, it's hard to sustain that commitment. The ritual creates a sacred space for these commitments to more strongly take hold in our minds and hearts. Witnesses help us to sustain our beliefs and action steps. Rituals, hear this carefully, rituals fill us with a, rebu a re robustness that encourages us to go on and continue on our paths. Simply said, rituals make us stronger. So in the weeks to come, we're gonna land our plane, we're gonna disembark from it, and we're gonna walk in the forest of the Lord's Prayer. We're gonna look at the trees really carefully. And during this time, I invite you to consider 
what role that prayer might play in your life. Now, I doubt that the Lord's Prayer will ever literally save your life. But you need to ask yourself, can that prayer enhance my life? Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.